For so many of us, our day-to-day is filled with feelings of bondage, of being stuck. For some of us, it is being stuck with internal struggles, fears, even addictions that hold us tightly. For others of us, it is being stuck in a set of rules we dare not break, fearing what others and God will think of us if we are fully known. But what if there is more for us? What if there is freedom? Hey, if you have a Bible with you, if you could open it, the book of Galatians, it's in the New Testament. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, okay? Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there, it's in your order of worship. The passage is right there. If you don't own a Bible, there's a... About six or so on the back table and a bunch more under the table, so don't leave here without one. I want to make sure that uh, that's something you can take home with you. That is our gift to you, but uh, any way you can have it in front of you would be good, okay? If you're new visiting here with us this morning, I want to welcome you again. Uh, this, is, this is a great time in, in the life of our church because, like I said earlier, we're starting a new series. Uh, when we talk about preaching, which is what I'm about to do, I know that a bunch of us in here have a bunch of different experiences of that. Like some of us, we, we've been in churches before where, um, where preaching is really kind of, you're not entirely certain what the dude's talking about. Like he's getting up and he's, he's talking about something. It may have something to do with the Bible, but more often than not, it's kind of just a topic, right? You're listening to a topic that he's, he's talking about. Um, others, um, preaching involves lots of shouting and pounding, possibly sweating. Like there's, there's something weird going on. And again... You're not entirely certain what's being said, but, but you know it's important because the dude's yelling. Uh, for, for even others, there's, it's the whole thing about um, whether, you know, I, I've, I've been in places where someone will actually preach and they're reading out of somebody else's book, which is, again, strange. But uh, here at Holy Cross, during, during the year, generally what we do is we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll preach through it verse by verse, what's called expository preaching. It means you go through and you're actually um, looking at what the Bible says and then trying to apply it to your life. And the reason we do that, there's a bunch of reasons, but one of the main ones is because no one, would, least of all me, would be very interested in hearing whatever I think is important, okay? Which is what generally happens with topical stuff. You, you eventually hear what the, the preacher, whoever's preparing, thinks is important to say. Uh, we believe this is God's word, so we want to let him have a say in what we talk about. And so this year, we're walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians. Okay? This is a letter that is uh, both fiery and pastoral. At times, it's tender, and at other times, it's frustrated, which is, shouldn't surprise us because it's, it's born out of relationship. This is a guy who's writing to a group of people that he knows, that he loves, and, and like any other relationship, it's going to have tensions in it, right? At the center of this, this uh, letter, though, is the message of freedom, an announcement that our deepest needs and our central hopes have been accomplished so that we may become what we were always meant to be. So during this series, we're going to be looking at freedom. So if you have your place in Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be reading the first five verses, as is our habit here in this church, if you would stand, uh, as we stand under the, the preaching of the Word. This is the very Word of God. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through a man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins 
to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. It's given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this time, knowing that uh, we have all brought a different story into this room, we ask that you would call us up into your great story, the story of redemption, that you would come and meet with us, encounter us, Jesus. Work in us that we might know you, and by your Spirit, grow us so that we might show you to the world. Lord, you alone hold the words of eternal life, so we listen for you. Let Christ and his cross come to the fore, and let the one who speaks fall to the wayside. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So you're not really supposed to admit this, I don't think, in church, but there's a lot of confusion today about what Christianity is about, and the confusion is born out of the fact that Christians have confused people about what Christianity is about. Okay, I mean, for some, Christianity is kind of something you can, you can draw an equation to with cultural conservatism, as if being culturally conservative somehow means that you're a follower of Jesus. For others, it's a political platform, right, as long as you vote the right way or, or care about the right causes, then, then you're a Christian. For others, it's, um, being a Christian is about accepting pretty much anything that makes other people happy. Right? Like, I, I'm, I'll, I'll accept this because, well, I mean, it makes somebody happy and isn't that what God would do and what Jesus would do? You know, it, it can range anywhere from a set of staunch rules to a variation on the theme, I'm okay, you're okay. And all of these kind of opposing opinions, all of these categories that conflict with each other, all of them want to claim Jesus as their mascot, right? He's their, he's their guy. And, don't, and so Jesus can be used to, to kind of support everything from like hipster niceness to urban tolerance to uh, straight-laced middle-class morality all at the same time. It's great. We have this nice little arrangement going. All this is to basically say that we as a people have a creative penchant for making Christianity and Jesus be all about what we care about, what we think is good. But the actual Bible, the message of Christian, the gospel of Jesus actually rejects these reductionisms. Uh, it, it it, It does it today. It did it when it was originally preached. And it does so by saying that the gospel is about true freedom. So this morning, there's an outline in your bulletin that's helpful to help you follow along because... Sometimes, you know, you can get lost in, in whatever I'm saying. But if that helps you follow along, great. If not, just leave it where it is. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the man. Uh, we're going to look at the message. And then finally, we're going to look at the meaning. Okay? Hopefully that helps you remember where we're at. We're going to look at the man, the message, and the meaning. Let's, let's, let's begin looking at the dude who's writing this letter, shall we? Look down at verse 1. Talk about the messenger. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through a man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father raised him from the dead. All right. Let's talk about Paul. This dude, Paul. So, if you know anything about Christianity, what you would know is that, that Paul is like the least likely person that we should expect writing a letter like this. And that is because the, the man who became the Apostle Paul was once uh, went by the name of Saul, and when he w- went by the name of Saul, he hated Christians. And when I say hated Christians, I mean hated, like was... W- Went, took the initiative to go to the authorities and say, I want, what I want to do for y'all is I want to go and find these people that say they're followers of Jesus. I want to yank them out of their homes, throw them in jail, or if they fight back, kill them. Is that okay? And they went, uh-huh, sure, yeah, go for it. And so that's Paul. Paul is out there in the, in the, in the world. He's going from city to city, town to town, 
with, a, with his little Gestapo behind him, and they're going in, they're grabbing people out of their homes, throwing them in jail, or, or like in the case of a dude named Stephen, they're just stoning them. That is, until this dude Saul was on the road to the next town he was heading to, by Damas- called Damascus, in which he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, and he went from menace to missionary. Weird. So that's Paul, okay? Now, Paul describes himself here as an apostle. Now, that's not a word we use a bunch unless we're thinking about Robert Duvall in some old movie. But uh, in the ancient world, an apostle is someone who, who is an official representative of an authority, okay? Like uh, the, the official ambassador of the king is called an apostle. It's someone who they are sent. Um, now, here's the thing. Paul's clear. He's not sent by men, nor is he sent through a, a man, um, but... By Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, two things about that. First, why would he say this? Now, as you go through this letter, it becomes clear, but from the outset, suffice it to say, look, if someone comes on the scene and they claim that they uh, speak for the authority, the first thing that happens in our minds is we get suspicious. Right? Someone comes and says, I got the truth for you. Like, I don't know, man. What, what, what's in it for you? What's your angle? Right? What, who, who are you to tell me? Right? That's the question that pops into our head. We've made this an art form in our culture. And so Paul is answering that question. He's saying he's not the representative of men. In other words, he, I'm not the representative of some group that's trying to impose their will upon you, nor uh, through a man. In other words, not some random teacher set me apart, but Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That is to say, Paul is claiming to be an official representative of Jesus. Now, that's, that's a big deal, right? Because um, you can understand there are lots of different kinds of people that are sent to speak for other people. And even in the church, there were little A apostles, people who were sent out by churches to go take a message somewhere. And then there were this very small select group of dudes who were big A apostles. There were originally 12 of them. Things didn't go so well for one of them. Yeah, his name was Judas. It went bad. But, then, um, the, but after that, the apostles decided to choose another to fill his space. And then God decided a little later to, to make another choice. And that's Paul, okay? Paul's not some random guy and he's not a self-appointed thought policeman. Paul is an authoritative representative of Jesus and he's speaking in his name. Now, that brings up the second thing about this. Did you notice the distinction he makes? Not by a man, not, not sent from a man or through men, uh, but but Jesus Christ and God the Father. You know, on the one hand, you have man, men and man, or people in person, if you want to be PC. And on the other, you have Jesus and God. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but it still needs to be said. Paul's not arguing for this. He's assuming it. And so we do need to state it. You know, in, in our culture, we tend to think that Jesus was just this really cool dude, right? He kind of like walked around uh, Palestine, Israel, in a robe, some flip-flops, hung out with people, told them cool stories, and, and, and taught some cool philosophies, and every once in a while he'd stand up and do some really freaky stuff that we still don't know what to do with. Like, that's what we think of Jesus. We think he was a good teacher. But Paul, who is writing this letter, the letter of the Galatians was written like 10 to 15 years after Jesus died. 10 to 15 years after Jesus' death, Paul is saying something completely different. And that is because Christians believe that Jesus isn't just a man. He's God. He's God. Christians believe that God exists as one God in three persons, and that Jesus is one of those persons. So don't, don't miss this, because this is super important. 
Paul is writing within the living memory of dudes who walked with Jesus, both his friends and his enemies. He's writing within their living memory. They're still alive, right? And so he is saying two very controversial things in the midst of that. One, Jesus rose from the dead. And two, he's just not some random dude. Like, he's God himself. He's going to make that clear in a minute. But I want us to grapple with the fact that this isn't 300 years after the fact. The very cats who were walking around who could have disputed this because they knew they were there, didn't. And he's writing into that, making outrageous claims. Now, on to the one who Paul's writing to. He writes, to the church in Galatia. That's really easy, right? Okay, two things we have to understand. First, what this word church means. In our day, church is a place you go, right? I go to church. We meet at church. Uh, we get married in a church. It's someplace we go. It's a facility. In the ancient world, church wasn't a facility. Now, some of that's because, you know, new, new group of people. They, they had no buildings. They had no money. But, uh, but in, the, in the ancient world, this word that's used here that we translate church, the word in the original, uh, means, means an assembly. It's not, it's not a facility. It's an identity. Being the church isn't about coming to a building. It's, it's about having an identity. Literally, means the called out assembly, the assembly of God's people. It is an identity, not a facility. So there's so much we could say about that because we struggle to understand this. So, so listen close if you can. Because you see, Paul believed the Bible. For him, the, for him, the Bible was our Old Testament because obviously he's writing part of the new one. But he, he, he believed the Bible. And the, the story of the Bible is that there's one God who creates all things. One God. He creates everything. And if there's one God who creates all things, it means he has authority over all things. And then he creates humanity to be stewards of creation, which is just kind of fancy words like he, he created us to, to enact his loving rule over it. And to be in a relationship with him, a dependent relationship with him, where we look to him to, to trust him so that he might define reality for us, tell us what is good, what isn't. Um, give us our identity, provide for us everything, right? And so that word church means called out ones, those called to assembly, the gathered people whose lives, whose, whose very identity is centered around this one creator God. But they live in Galatia. Now, we don't call this Galatia anymore. We call it Turkey. But it's, it's basically that, that little stretch that we now call Turkey. The southern part of that is where Paul is writing to. And these folks would have known Paul because uh, early in his ministry, and you can read about it in the book of Acts in chapter 13 and 14, um, Paul went with this other dude named Barnabas and they went from this, this uh, city called Antioch and they began going up through the Mediterranean world, up through Turkey, eventually making their way into Greece and, and places like that. Uh, and what they were doing is they were going into these cities, proclaiming Jesus to people. People were getting converted and then they were, building, they were creating these little assemblies, churches. So he's, he, this letter was meant to be, be passed around from town to town through all these places that would have known Paul as the one who came to plant their churches. And a little bit of an issue has come up in the church that we're going to get to next week. The issue is so serious, in fact, that Paul is frustrated beyond all belief and astonished, he says, about it. This issue has come up and that as an apostle, Paul is seeking to correct those issues through writing a letter. Everybody with me? All right. Now let's look at the message itself. Now, this is basically the greeting for the whole letter, but even that greeting is formed around the message Paul proclaimed. Look down at verse 3 for the need for grace and peace. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
I said a second ago that this was the greeting, but this is way more than just saying hi. Right? This isn't just like, hi, this is Paul. It's not just a formal way of saying that. Uh, this is because these two words, grace and peace, are loaded words in the Bible, and so we have to understand what they mean. Okay? Grace, that word grace, is like the fundamental aspect of the message of Christianity. If you were to take the whole of if, somehow this were possible, take the whole of the message of Christianity and just squeeze it until you got a drop out, that drop would be called grace. Like that is the fundamental teaching of, of the Bible. Okay? It, is, it is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is God showing favor to those who don't deserve it, right? Peace, that's a little different. To us, peace means not fighting, right? No conflict. Uh, in, in, the, in the biblical world, uh, that word peace, which in the, in the Old Testament would have been called shalom, means all of your relationships lining up exactly as they should, exactly as they were intended to, right? Our, our relationship with God and with each other and with creation, all of it. Paul expressing this to this group of people makes no sense, though, unless we get to the rest of the story that the Bible tells. Now, I already said that the Bible mentions that we were, we were uh, created for God, for relationship with Him, to be uh, in dependent relationship with Him. It says, in fact, that we were made not just for uh, that in abstraction, but for peace. We were made for those relationships to line up. But you and I both know, right? We, that is not the way things are. Some of us in this room, we... We were yelling at each other before we came here, right? And you just, why do you drive like that? Get off my back. You know, we did that before we came in this room. Like, we know that fractured relationships are. And, that, and then that's not even to mention how some of us feel about God. Or how we feel about ourselves. Some of us in this room are like self-abusers, man. That's how we motivate ourselves. I feel like if I just shame myself enough, that'll work. And so we understand that, that that idea of those relationships lining up isn't, that, that isn't happening. The reason is because humanity, right in the beginning, began to believe a lie. We began to believe a lie that God, you know the lie. Now, I may say it and you're like, I wouldn't use those words, but it's back here, right? God doesn't love you. He's not out for your good. He is trying to ruin your fun. All he's doing is trying to ruin your happiness. If you follow him, man, your life is going to be hard. And it's just going to be terrible. Like, that's the lie that we began to believe, that God is trying to use us. And that though we were created to be dependent on him, we didn't have to be. We could be independent of him. As a matter of fact, we need to be because that dude is not someone to be trusted. And so we turned away from him. We didn't like being in his image. We wanted to be his equal. And so we betrayed him. We sought our own way. Betraying God, listen to me, betraying God is what the Bible calls sin. Now, as soon as I say that, most of us jump ship because we're like, sin for us is about rule breaking. And, and sinners, if we were to use that kind of word, sinners in our culture are notorious people, right? Listen, don't get around them. Like, we, we duh, like, there's sinners. But in the Bible, it's far bigger than that. Because in the Bible, sin isn't violating a rule per se, it's violating a relationship. It's not turning away from a rule, it's turning away from a person. So we were made to depend on God, to look to Him to define what is good, to explain the world to us, to give us our identity, to make He would He is the one who will give us a name. We don't have to make one for ourselves. And when we turn from Him to do all those things for ourselves, we betray Him. And that's not a little thing. Look, when we talk about most of us, when we think about sin and God, we think of it like breaking curfew or like not eating your vegetables. 
right? Uh, look, what's the big deal? I just didn't eat my broccoli. I don't like broccoli. But that's, God doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk about it like breaking, uh, breaking curfew. And it certainly doesn't talk about like eating your vegetables. The Bible talks about like adultery. It's like adultery. It's like cheating on somebody. And that's not something you make up for with flowers or candy, right? We betray God. And so we're guilty before God. That happens with every betrayal. The Bible says we've earned a spiritual death for our betrayal, eternal separation from God, something Jesus called hell. But we are also broken. That means we're stuck in our independence, which just makes sense, right? I mean, if you're independent, how do you make that right by yourself? How do you fix that on your own? If, you're, if your problem is that you're independent from God, how do you fix that on your own? You can't, so you're stuck. I'm stuck. We're, we're stuck. This is the great tension point in the Bible, because we're made to crown creation and to be in a loving, dependent relationship with God, but we've turned from Him, betrayed Him, and we're stuck in that. So when Paul declares grace and peace to this group of people, that's what he's speaking to. Because the Bible is clear that none of us, none of us have, have earned anything before God but judgment. But here Paul declares grace. And you and I both know, out of our own experience, that we have fractured every relationship we've been in. And yet here Paul declares peace. How is that even possible? Well, that brings us to the source. Look down at verses 4 and 5. Grace and peace comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen close, because this is important. I said I was going to speak to this, and now, now I'm going to, right? That word that we translate Lord, that's, um, for most of us, that's Christianese, that's Christian speak, right? Praise the Lord, like, blessed be the Lord. Like, we do all that stuff. But in the ancient world, especially in the world that Paul's writing into, when a, when a Jewish person talked about the Lord, that was the word they used in the Old Testament to translate God's name because nobody wanted to actually say God's name because that might be taken in vain, so they didn't do that. They called him, um, in, in Hebrew it would be Adonai, which means Lord. And so when that came into the Greek world, the word that they used to talk about God was often Lord. And Paul is attaching that word to Jesus. Paul's saying, again, Jesus is God. And this is important because of how he continues. Because Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. Okay, Now, if you've checked out on me, I need you to check back in. Because this is where we muck things up bad. All right. If things are going to be made right between us and God, it will have to be because he does something about it. We can't make our independence right. He has to come back and do something for us, and he did. Right in the beginning of the story, God promises, right after we fell, right after we turned away from him, God says, I'm going to make this right. And then the entire Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, is the story of the unfolding plan of God making things right until it comes into fruition in Jesus. You and I have been taught via the media and all the things to treat Jesus like he's just a dude. He's a teacher. He's no different than like Buddha. But listen to me. If you take Buddha out of Buddhism, you still have Buddhism. You take Jesus out of Christianity, you got nothing. You have nothing. You have, you have pitiable people who sit in church on Sunday morning when they should be, should be getting ready for their fantasy football league to kick off in an hour. Right? Jesus is not just some dude. The, the Bible says we don't need a teacher. We don't need a teacher. We need a rescuer. And so because we couldn't live the perfect life of dependence on God that we were made for, we can't. 
God came in Jesus to live it for us. Because we dare not, dare not die the death that we deserve to bear the, the, the guilt that we have before God, to bear the weight of that betrayal. God came in Jesus and did it for us. That's what Paul means here. When he says Jesus gave himself for our sins, the word literally means on our behalf. Or, even better, in our place. In our place he died. He substituted himself for us. He was innocent. We were guilty, but he died to bear our guilt. We want Jesus as a teacher. He only presents himself as a substitute. Listen, that's what forgiveness is, friends. Forgiveness is always the offended one bearing the offense for the offender. Whether you're forgiving your friend or God's forgiving us, it is always the offended one bearing the offense for the offender. That is what forgiveness is. In Jesus, God bore the weight of our betrayal of him so that we might not have to. He rescued us. And Paul is very clear. He didn't do this because there's some angry God in the heavens that he has to placate. He says, Jesus says that, or Paul says that Jesus did this according to the will of God the Father. God the Father had a plan. God the Son, that's Jesus, accomplished the plan. And God the Holy Spirit applies it to us. That's the last part. It's not enough for us that Jesus did these things. That's an objective fact. Do not have to... Like, that, that happened. Okay? But for us to return to dependence on God, we have to have faith in Him. That's what faith is. Faith is trust. Faith is not uh, assenting to a, a set of propositions. Well, I believe in the Trinity. I believe in, you know, I don't know. Jesus, He seems cool. Faith is actually trusting in Jesus to make us right before God. Not our morality, not our spirituality, not our religious exercise. I can believe from a distance that that chair will hold me. But I do not have faith until I put my bottom in the seat. Right? This is faith. The chair held. Praise God, that would have been awkward. Uh, but, like, the... That is faith. And that's what faith is. It is not thinking that your, your morality, your spirituality, your religious convictions, or God forbid, your voting record will make you right before God. It is placing your faith in Christ. Grace and peace have to be received. They are offered because of the work of Jesus, but you must place your faith in Him. You've got to return to dependence on Him. So that's the, that's the man, that's the message. Now let's look at the meaning. Okay, Let me try and apply this quickly if I can. First, by gaining clarity. Like I said before, it is easy to get confused about Christianity. There's a, there's a story in, that comes out of England. There was a group of uh, scholars in the late 40s who were meeting together to, um, to, de- to debate and discuss what it is that makes Christianity unique. Right? And they, they sat around and they thought, well, is it resurrection? No, there's, you know, uh, there's plenty of ancient myths of gods that are dying and rising again. Normally they're the sun god, right? Because it goes down. And then it comes back up. Uh, and then there's, um, and they said, well, maybe it's incarnation. But no, 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 because Hinduism has all these gods that become flesh. And the Lord knows we've read enough Greek myths to know that's possible. And so they're all talking about this and debating this. And then into the room comes another scholar who's not a biblical scholar. He's an English professor by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he walks into the room. And, and they, he finds out what they're talking about. He says, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is what makes Christianity unique. And he's exactly right. Listen, every other religion tells you, here's what you do to get to God. 
Here's your 12 steps. Here's your tenfold path. Here's your pillars. Here's your self-help. Here's the right rules, the right practice, the right spirituality, the right mantras. Christianity says that none of that will work because none of it deals with our sin. It doesn't deal with our betrayal. It doesn't deal with our independence of God. And so Christianity doesn't give you rules. It gives you a rescuer. You and I don't need rules. We don't need reforming. We don't need reshaping. We don't need just a little bit of restructuring. We need rescue. Listen, if you don't get this, you've missed it all. If you have understood Christianity to just be another list of things to do so God will like you, you have been mistaken. And if you've never considered Christianity, because some of y'all are in here and you don't know why you're here. Somebody promised you something and you're not sure if they're going to come through with it now, but they're here. And, and, and you never considered Christianity maybe because you thought Christianity was about being good enough and you know you're not. You're like, ah, I, why? Why even worry about it? You were mistaken. The Christian gospel is this. We were lost and stuck in our betrayal of God, but God in Jesus came to rescue us. It isn't about what we can do to get to God, but what God has done to get to us. That is Christianity. That is the message of the Bible. And that is what Paul is declaring to the Galatians and and also us this morning. Will you receive that? That is grace and peace. Lastly, though, I want us to reckon with rescue. That's the core of this passage, right? Jesus gave himself for our sins in order that, for the purpose of rescuing us, right? That's right there. Do you believe you need rescue? Don't be too quick to answer. Like I said, I'm not talking about reformation. I'm not talking about reshuffling of the deck of your life to get your priorities straight. I mean rescue. Like drowning in the water, nothing to float on, Going down, you've done the one, you've done the two, and it's three, and you're heading down. Do you, that is what the Bible says. That is where we are, where I am, where you are. Let me be clear. The Jesus who came to be nice, to say nice things, and give us all nice rules to be nice to others, only exists in your mind. He is a figment of your imagination. Jesus came to rescue sinners like me and like you. Look, don't check out on me. All of our brokenness looks different. I know that. Some of you are like, Rick, what are you talking about, man? Your life doesn't look anything like mine. Like, you're, you're right. Like, Rick, you don't know what I did. You're right, I, I don't. Look, all of our brokenness looks different. Some of us, we express our independence from God by saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And we chase after sex and drugs and money and what have you. And we go after it. And we say, but in the back of our minds, we know it ain't satisfying me. Because I do it, and I keep doing it, and it's never enough. And others of us, though, we don't do it like that. Instead, we express our independence from God by going, you know what, um, I don't really need you, I just need your rules, and I can be pretty good. I'm, I'm actually, I'm pretty awesome, and you should think I'm awesome too, God. I, I, things, are, things are good with me. You should really be okay with how good I am. We are, we are moral, we are successful, we are driven, we look clean, and we are just as jacked up as the other guy. As a matter of fact, we may be more so because we're so hidden inside our damnable righteousness that we can't even see we need Jesus. We are all on the same plane. We cannot make ourselves right before God. That is why Paul declares grace 
Grace isn't earned. You cannot merit unmerited favor. If you do, it's not grace. God gives us grace because we cannot contribute to this. That is why in verse 5, Paul says, all the glory forever and ever be to God. Because if you and I added something to it, and somebody else, you know, they're not walking, they're not... They're not following Jesus, but I am means I'm smarter than them or I'm better than them. And so glory to me, because I do love me some me, right? But that's not the way it works. All glory is to God. And we need to reckon with, with this. Listen, this means this morning, if your life is a mess, you are not too far from the grace of God. It is greater than all of your sin. But if you like me before I became a Christian, because look, man, I I came to this later in life. If if you like me before I became a Christian, I felt secure because you thought God was looking for good instead of dependent, and you're pretty good. You also are not too far from God's grace. It is greater than yours and greater than my supposed goodness. But it also means this. If you're a Christian in the room, listen close. Is grace and peace what you delight in? I mean, really. Is grace what you delight in? Or keeping things on the straight and narrow? Is peace what you delight in? Or the fact that you're right and they're wrong and you're going to let them know? Do you give glory, God glory for this rescue truly? Or do you end up thinking, or even saying, that you were the one smart enough or good enough to get God's favor? Listen, the freedom we were made for is freely offered to us. It is both grace and peace. But it comes only through Jesus. And it is open to any who would turn from their independence and rest in Him. Would you pray with me? Lord, You are the God of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, the Bible says, and we know You not to be a miser. You are not stingy. And so, Lord, whether we're in this room and we have heard this a million times and had faith a million times, or whether we are hearing it for the first time, I pray that you would press on us that we would delight in grace and peace and receive it again. Or for those of us who are walking with Jesus and yet constantly we keep falling into the trap of thinking that you owe us. Or give us grace this morning to see that all we have is a gift from your hand. For those of us in this room, Lord, who've never placed our faith in Jesus, would you work? Would Would you enable us to be able to receive grace and peace this morning? And make yourself famous. For you're the God who redeems those who have betrayed you, who is like you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.